Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Continuing in our walk through the book of Acts, Pastor Jason is now looking at chapter 9, verses 32 to 43, in a sermon he's entitled, Expect the Unexpected. Let's join Jason now as he talks about these incredible miracles done in the book of Acts. Here's Jason. Well, good morning, everyone. And welcome once again to Rancho Baptist Church. I am Pastor Jason, the senior pastor here, and I have the privilege of bringing the Word week after week and that huge responsibility as well. And we are making our way through the book of Acts. And this morning we are going to be wrapping up chapter 9. And I've entitled the the sermon this morning, Expect the Unexpected. For that is what we are going to see. We're going to see in the life of Peter that he indeed expected the unexpected. And we're going to see God work through the Apostle Peter today in, in amazing ways. And if you're a bit of a, of a sports guy, no doubt you've noticed over the last several weeks there's been lots of things happening within the sports world. Some things that have been expected and some things that are totally unexpected, right? If you follow golf, you, you no doubt found that Tiger Woods unbelievably won, won another Masters. I, I, for one, wasn't thinking Tiger would do that. Or how about the NBA championships? Perhaps you watch those and, and you, probably like me and, and, and my boys, at least in, in our minds, we, we naturally thought that the Golden State team was going to take out the Toronto Raptors, but it was actually not that the case at all. Why? Because Kevin Durant, one of their main stars, got hurt. And then even when, when it looked like maybe they'd have a chance at the end, another one of their stars got hurt, Clay Thompson. And, and, and so, in the end, Toronto, the Toronto Raptors won, which for me was very unexpected. Or perhaps you're a tennis guy or a tennis gal. You, you enjoy tennis. You watch tennis. And no doubt you noticed last week that Rafa Nadal won his 12th French Open title at Roland Garros, right? And on on top of that, not only was it his 12th title, but that was his third title in a row. And if you follow tennis, you would know that any time Rafa makes it to the finals of the French Open, you know what happens? He wins. 100% of the time now, whenever he makes it to the finals, he wins. So so obviously, in, in many aspects, that's not something that was totally unexpected. Once Rafa Nadal made it to the finals, you thought he was most likely going to win. Today, what we are going to see in, in the book of Acts are, are things happening that you and I would not expect to happen. And yet they do happen. Why? Because our God is entirely different than you and I. Because our God can do the unbelievable. In Papua New Guinea, in the tribe that we worked in, the way that they said this about God was, they said He's the way way you know Meaning that, that He is the man above, above all others. And that is what we're going to see today. So turn with me to Acts chapter 9. 
verses 32 to 43. As we continue watching Jesus at work, as he continues to build his church as well as strengthening his church. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. For writing your precious word down so that we might read it, so that we might gleam the truths that you have contained in it. We pray now, Lord, that you would teach us through your word, that you would allow us to see clearly the things that you would have us grasp hold of, that we, like Peter, would learn to walk before you, that we, like Peter, would learn to be willing to serve you, And that we, like Peter, would learn to be confident in you and you alone. So go before me now, Lord. Set me aside and allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in these verses, as we have seen before in the book of Acts, we see the Lord doing something unexpected. Something that isn't the norm. Even though the person that he uses actually is quite expected, right? We, we see the spotlight go off of Saul, the Apostle Paul, as he will be called in, in chapter 13 of Acts. And now the spotlight goes back on this man, Peter. This Apostle to the Jews. And we have seen Peter in the limelight time and time again throughout the book of Acts up to this point. And so it's not unexpected that we see the Lord using Peter, but it's good for us to understand why the Lord uses him. And I believe that the Lord uses him because Peter gets four things right. And we will see that here in these verses. Four traits in Peter's life that should be four traits in your life and in my life. For if you and I want to be 
an instrument in the Lord's hand, we need to know what kind of instrument that is. We need to know what kind of characteristics we should be displaying, how we should be pursuing him. What kind of tool we need to be. It's interesting because a, a couple weeks back, my family and I went, went to a horse farm to, to help a, a woman there who, who needed some help with a, clearing away brush, taking away sticks, and, and basically fire abatement, keeping her whole farm from, from turning into a cinder box if some sort of fire would come. And so we were grabbing sticks and we were putting them on trucks and we were doing this and doing that. And at some point, she handed me a chainsaw. But it was an electric chainsaw, which I hadn't used before. But man, as I turned it on, it sounded great. The motor was working. It was spinning really well. The bar was straight. It was well oiled. And I, and I thought, oh, this is, this is going to be great. I, I go up to a two inch, just a two inch little stick, right? A limb. And I, and I go to de-limb. Normally that would take me about five seconds. Zip. This was like, it was like this. And, and I'm having to push down so hard. Oh, okay, maybe there was sap on, on that particular branch. I'll go on to the next one. And then I tried the next one and, and well, it wasn't any better. And then I tried the next one, the next one, and, and they're all the same. And you know what the problem was? It was the chain. It was the teeth on the chain in particular. Why? Because those, those teeth were totally dull. And so not a, no matter how much I, I put that saw down, basically the only thing that was cutting it was the movement of the saw turning and turning. The teeth weren't actually digging in and cutting. What needed to happen? That chain needed to be resharpened. Those teeth needed to be gouged out so that they were sharp again. And I believe in, in the life of you and I, as we walk with the Lord, at times that needs to happen to us. That we need to be retuned. We, we need to be refiled. We, we need to allow the Lord to prepare us so that we are useful tools in His hands. And, and this is what we're going to see today. And in the life of Peter. That there are four things about Peter, four traits, four characteristics about his life that allow the Lord to use him and use him mightily. And this is why Peter is so effective. And the first thing that we see is this, that Peter was working. Look at verses 32 and 33. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, what regions? Well, it's pointing back to 31 that we saw last week. As we saw Christ's church grow, not only did it grow, but it, but it was growing in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And where was it doing that? Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So Peter is now going on the road. He's going on a missionary journey. But, but instead of really being a church planter, he's going to places that already have believers. He's going to strengthen those churches. As it says, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden Eight years for he was paralyzed. So what is the first thing that we see about Peter? We see that he is moving. Literally, he is moving. He is active. He is not sitting idle. He is not sitting down. He's not standing back. He is pushing forward. He is walking in obedience before the Lord. And you and I need to consider such things. That this is what we should be doing as well. 
And, and where does Peter get this idea? Well, we'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. And probably what is one of the most famous verses, or set of verses in, in Matthew, the Great Commission, right? Chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. For us to grasp the significance on why it's important for us to be moving, for us to be walking towards the Lord, being used by the Lord, being obedient to the Lord. Why it's important for us to be busy, to be doing ministry. For look at what Jesus says to His disciples. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you might think that, that that's a command and that Jesus is telling them to go, but that's not the command in that, ver- in that verse. Really what it is saying is, it's as you are going, while you are going. The going part is understood. You're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be going. We're supposed to be heading somewhere. And as we go, then these opportunities present themselves. That the Lord presents us with these opportunities. If Peter hadn't been doing this, if he hadn't been traveling, would he ever have met Aeneas? No. And so the Lord wants to use us and He wants to get us in those situations. But we do have a part to play and we we see that in the life of Peter. That he wasn't sitting still. He wasn't being idle. This idea of of moving became quite clear to me recently as as my family and I went for a, a walk with our dogs. We have two huskies. And so walking is more like being pulled. But that's okay. And my, and my youngest daughter brought her bike along. And at, and at one point, she got tired of riding her bike and wanted to walk the dog. So, so I jump on, on Kylie's bike and, and I'm riding it. And it is just taking everything I have to move her bike. It didn't matter if I was going downhill or uphill. It, it was just, it, it wouldn't glide. It wouldn't move. And, and it felt like the brakes were sticking. But I looked and the brakes weren't sticking. You know what the problem was? The tires, they were almost flat. The, the rims were almost onto the ground. So what happened? I went home and I filled that those tires up with air. And after that, you know what happened? I was going too fast. I, I could barely slow myself down because I was so used to pedaling so hard. Now I didn't have to pedal so much. And in much the same way, the Lord, if, if He's going to direct our steps, we need to be going in a certain direction, right? As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And all your ways, don't lean on your own understanding. And what? And He will direct your paths. You have to be moving in order for the Lord to direct you. How easy is it for for you or I to move a car when it's not moving? To turn a car. Really, really hard, right? Even the tires. But once you have some movement, then it's much easier to turn. In very much the same way, the Lord wants to use us. But we have to be moving. We have to be going forward. And as we're going forward, the Lord will bring opportunities, which is exactly what happens to Peter here. As he's moving, what happens? He meets this man named Aeneas. And we're told about Aeneas. And we're told that that he's been bedridden. In bed for eight years. Why? Because he's paralyzed. He does not have the use of his legs. Even more, probably all the way up to his upper torso as well. The idea here is that he was not born like this. 
some sort of accident happened to him. And during this time, it, it, it might surprise you. You know what the number one reason was for people being, becoming paralyzed? It was falling from their roofs. Not because they were up there painting in, in, in this, but, but because their roofs are level. And they would spend the evenings in their roofs often. And, and people would fall down. And as they fell down, their spinal cord would become injured. Another way for them to, to become paralyzed would, would have been through a stroke. Through having just a, a normal accident. Or possibly tuberculosis, which, which also could, could injure a spinal cord. And with all these different causes, you know what you don't have? You don't have too many known treatments. There's hardly anything you could do for someone who was paralyzed, except for rubbing olive oil on them. But think with me for a moment about this, this man, Peter. What has his life been like up to this point? He, he's been in the glamour, right? He's preached to thousands. And he's had thousands respond. And now he, he, he's before one person. And, and you would think that, that Peter, oh, I don't have time for just one. Come on, I'm, I'm Peter the Apostle. But, but he doesn't have that attitude at all. Why? Because he sees the importance of sharing Christ one on one. And you and I must see that as important as well. You and I must seek the Lord, ask him to give us the boldness and the confidence and the opportunity to share Christ one-on-one with others. And so we see, first of all, that, that Peter indeed, he was moving. He was working for the Lord. But that's not all. Look, look at verse 34. For we see here that Peter was, was what? He, he's confident in the Lord. He finds his strength in the Lord. For look at how he phrases, how he speaks to this man. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. Of all the things that Peter could say to him, he keeps it very short and sweet so that he's emphasizing one person and one person alone. Aeneas, I don't want you to miss this. This is all about him. This isn't about me. This isn't about any confidence that I have in myself. This is confidence that I have in the Lord that he will indeed do this. And so he, he, he gives them a command. And he gives them the command, get up. How easy do you think that would have been? Put yourself in his shoes. Would you have given that command? I, I would have probably been more, well, I, I think you can get up now. And instead, he has complete confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because I believe it has everything to do with Peter's focus. He knew who to keep his eyes upon because the Lord had taught him that. And his eyes were on Jesus Christ all the time. Remember back in Matthew 14. And Jesus comes to the disciples as they're on a boat. And he's walking towards them in, on the water. And they see him and what do they think? They think, oh, he, he's a ghost. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm not a ghost. And Peter says, okay, well then can I walk to you? And Jesus says, yes, come walk to me. And Peter steps out of the boat onto the water. And as long as he was doing what? As long as he was looking at Jesus, he was good to go. He was walking. He was doing the unbelievable. He was doing the unexpected. But as soon as he gets his focus, his eyes off of being riveted on Jesus Christ, and he gets his eyes 
on the wind and the waves and everything around him. What happens? Like an anchor, he drops. And the Lord Jesus Christ grabs him and puts him back on the boat. You see, Peter had learned the lesson where he needed to keep his focus, who he needed to keep his eyes gazed upon. Have you and I learned that lesson? Or, or, or at times when, when you're thrown into a circumstance, do you, do you get your eyes all on the waves and all the circumstances instead of on the Lord? And then we see how gracious the Lord is to him, right? And that it says immediately he got up. Not several seconds later. Not first he kind of wobbled and, and slowly gathered strength. First he was, he was on a walker and then he went to crutches and then he, no, immediately. Why? Because this is the Lord. This doesn't make sense outside of a miracle, outside of the power of God being manifested right here. And so he immediately gets up and he becomes a walking and talking declaration of the wonderful healing power of Jesus Christ. And it's no wonder that what happens in 35 happens. Look at verse 35. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This other town or city, Sharon, must have been located very closely to Lydda. And as a result, when this man, Aeneas, is healed and begins walking, what, what happens? Notice what, what brings everybody to the Lord, right? That they literally see him. It must have not been that large of a city that, that everybody could see him. And when they see him, what do they do? They turn to the Lord. This is the word for repentance, that they do indeed turn towards him. They turn from their sin, they turn towards the Lord. And even in this, it, it lets us know that not only was Peter going and being an encouragement to the saints, but, but he must have been proclaiming the gospel, telling them of the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, they wouldn't know that they had to turn to the Lord, right? And, and so we see this here. But did you catch what it says in verse 35? The second word, at least in my translation. What, what is that word? And all who lived in, in these two cities, these two places. Not, not half, not three quarters, all. Is that common? Is that the norm? Is, is that the thing that would be expected when an evangelist comes someplace and shares the gospel that everyone would believe? No, this is totally unexpected. But for the Lord, it is expected. Why? Because the Lord goes before him and God's grace is on display for all to see. And they see that. And as a result, they they turn to him. So we see that. That the Lord is using Peter and that he's using Peter as, as he was busy working for the Lord. As he was confident, not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. But also because of his willingness to follow the Lord's leading. Look at verse 36 as, as we transition into a whole new place now. Verse 36, now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, 
which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. Okay, let me just set this straight now. I'm not going to call her Dorcas because you guys will all laugh and this and that. So we'll keep her, her, her name Tabitha. And, and do you see what the, what the Lord is doing here? So where were we? We were just in this place called Lydda. And now we're, we're told about this new place called Joppa. And yet geographically, this makes sense. Why? Because if you're going to go from Jerusalem to Joppa, the only way to get there is to, is to go through Lydda first. And so the Lord is leading Peter to Joppa. And perhaps you remember hearing of, of this city, Joppa. It's, it's located on the coast, and it was at one point a Philistine city. But even before that, way back when, in the, in the time of King Solomon, there was a, a king of Tyre who said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to supply you with all sorts of things to help you build the Lord's temple. In fact, I'm going to supply you with lots of timber. And all that lumber is going to come from Lebanon. And I'm going to load it on boats. And I'm going to send it to you. And do you know where those boats landed? They landed right here at Joppa. And then they took them all off and they carried them over to the temple where they built the temple. But there's even a more famous story of something that happened in Joppa. For you know who also went to Joppa back in the Old Testament? Jonah. As the Lord comes to Jonah and tells him that he needs to go to Nineveh, what does Jonah do? He runs away and goes the opposite direction. How? By coming to Joppa. And he gets on a boat at Joppa, and instead of going to Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction to Tarshish. And so we see the Lord leading two men and two different responses here at Joppa. Showing how the, how the Lord can do amazing things. And now it's so many years later, and what happens? Peter is here. And in contrast to the unwillingness of Jonah, we see that, that Peter, on the other hand, is, is very willing to do what the Lord has him do. But before we see Peter's willingness, we're, we're given a detail about why Joppa is so important at this time. And the reason why Joppa is so important is because of this disciple, this woman named Tabitha. And don't miss the emphasis and, and the importance of the way that she is described. Before Luke gives us her name, he gives us a depiction of what kind of woman she is by saying that she is a disciple. Now, in our translations, that doesn't do this verse justice because a disciple is just a disciple. But in the Greek, you can, you can have a masculine, you can have a feminine, or you can have a, a, a neuter, where it's in not, neither masculine or feminine. Do you know what this noun is? It's marked as a feminine, and it's singular. Up to this point, when it has come to women being involved in the church, they're, they're presented as a whole. All these women were ministering in the church, where now everything slows down and it pinpoints to one particular woman. Why is that important? Because women are important in Christ's church. Not just women as a whole, but each individual woman. And the Lord wants the women involved in the church just as this woman is. Why? Because there's equality between men and women in, in God's economy. Because we are made in His image. 
And as such, we are equal image bearers in the essence of who we are, in our identity. And we see this woman being depicted not only as a believer, but look at the way that it represents her. It says that she was a woman abounding with deeds of kindness. Deeds is speaking of an action that's displayed that everyone can see. So whatever she is doing, everybody's seeing it. And these deeds just aren't nameless, unidentified deeds. They are deeds of kindness. Meaning that it's something that is admirable in the eyes of society. As people look and see what this woman, Tabitha, is doing, they say, oh, that is a good thing. That is a wonderful thing to be doing towards others. That has wealth, that has worth, (coughs) that has merit. But we see also that she is not only involved in kindness, but she is involved in charity. This is showing goodwill towards others. That she is preferring others above herself by helping them. And, and we will, we see this in, well, we will see this in, in verse 39 as it talks about the widows and, and how upset they are that she is gone. Letting us know that she had a ministry with the widows. She must have been loving on them. We're not told exactly what she was doing, but she was ministering towards these widows with these widows. But then we're also told something else that is oh so important because many people, myself included, we come up with wonderful ideas on how we're going to be a blessing to others. And we come up with this great plan. But then oftentimes we don't actually carry out that plan. We don't see it through to fruition. We actually don't do whatever the plan is that we came up with. And that is not the case with Tabitha because it says that she continually did these things. That's not the idea that she did it one month and then three months later she did it again and then three months after that, so maybe four times out of the year she met with the widows. No, it's the idea that she was habitually doing this every day. She made it her practice. She was not only kind, but she put her kindness to action by continually doing the things that she was coming up with in her mind. And and you and I need to do the same thing. As we seek the Lord, as He brings about thoughts and plans, oh man, this is how we should reach our neighbors and seek the Lord that we can indeed do that. But then look what happens next with this woman. Verses 37 to 39. And it happened at that time that she felt sick. She fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men imploring him, do not coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas had used to make while she was with them. So this wonderful woman of God who is serving the Lord so faithfully in this body, in this church, she gets sick and that sickness leads to death. And as is their custom, they then clean her body, they then wrap her body, and and differently than what we saw in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, where they buried them right away, they, they have some time to wait. For in Joppa, you didn't have to bury a body for three days. 
So they had three days. And oftentimes after they would clean the body and wrap it, they would put it in an upper room and that way visitors and family members could come and mourn over that body and remember the good things that that person had done, which is exactly what's going on here. Except for they're, they're even doing more than that. They come up with a game plan. And that game plan is, hey, let's send two men to Peter. And they heard that, that Peter was in Lydda. That lets us know that most likely they'd heard what Peter had already done. That the Lord had used him to allow this paralyzed man to be able to walk. So I believe that that lets us know that, that not only were they doing this and trying to rush him to come, because they recognized that within three days, the body was now going to become yeah, terribly bad in the way that it smelled, but it was then going to become illegal for them to keep the body any longer. So they wanted Peter to come quick within this three-day period. But not only that, I believe that they wanted Peter to come thinking that possibly, just possibly, Peter could indeed do something to change the state that she's in. Now think about you and I. If you were going to this church and you were with them, how would you have responded? Would you have had the, the faith to say, oh yes, let's stop and let's pray that Tabitha would be raised because man, we miss her. She was serving the Lord. Let's go ahead and do that. Most likely not. But in Papua New Guinea, where we ministered for so many years, we came home on a home assignment one time. And a, and a dearly loved saint, a woman passed away in the village. And the church decided, actually a lot of it was her husband, decided, you know what, we're not going to bury her right away. We're going to bring her body into the church and we're going to pray over her, over her and the Lord's going to bring her back. So that's exactly what they did. They, they, they brought her body into the church and they had the whole church come and they prayed and you know what happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing happened. And so then they decided, well, I know what's wrong. Some of the believers here, some of you, you guys are holding on to sin. You need to confess your sin. So come up here and kneel with us and pray and confess your sin. And then, and then, she, then we pray and then we'll pray again. And then she'll be raised from the dead. So they tried that. And you know what happened? Nothing. Finally, the third day happens where they're still praying to have her body raised. And they come up with a new plan and they say, oh, I, we know what the problem is. It's those that aren't coming to church. It's everybody else in the village. So they literally went out to the different houses in the village, those that weren't coming to church, those that weren't even believers. And they, and they physically were grabbing them and pulling them into the church, saying, hey, if you do this, then this will happen. And what happened? Well, nothing. They ended up burying her like, like they've buried many other people that have died. And if I was there, if I was there with them, what would I have done? I wouldn't have stopped them from that initial prayer. If that's what they felt they wanted to do before the Lord, to pray for Noe Yeti's wife, then sure, let's pray for Noe Yeti's wife. But we're not going to turn this into some sort of manipulation, some sort of genie that, okay, we do this and then God does that. Let's walk by faith, but then let's leave it there. And so what we see in, in Peter is a, is a willingness. N notice what he does. That they come to him, and you don't even get any interaction as to, to what happens, but, but he just says, okay, yes. And he goes back with these two men. 
walking the four to five hours from from Lydda to Joppa. And as he gets there, did you see the sweetness of the moment? As as he gets there, all these widows are, are standing beside him and they're weeping and they're showing him the, the very things that, that this lovely woman had made. No, no doubt speaking of, of the special relationship that they all shared with Tabitha and what a wonderful woman that she was, that she is, and what a blessing that she is to them. Speaking to us, letting us know what a blessing it is to be a blessing to others, right? And we have an opportunity to be a blessing to one another as we spend time with one another. And some of us, at some point, will end up having to go into a hospital for this surgery or that surgery. Do you know that that you could come and be a part of of that ministry? That you can come with with us pastors? One, please, if, if, if one of you or one of your loved ones ends up going into the hospital, let us know so that we can pray, that we can come and, and visit you. But if some of you would like to get involved, that you want to accompany us to go visit someone and be a blessing to them, well, write that on your information card or, or send us an email. And so we, we see that, that, that Peter was involved in all these different things. He had these traits where, where he was seeking the Lord. He was working for the Lord. He was confident, not in his own strength, but in the Lord's, and he was willing But in verse 40, we see this as well. We see that he was dependent upon the Lord. Look at what it says in 40. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. To me, this is a very strange account. Why? Because, okay, so Peter gets there. He sees all this. No doubt he's... He's feeling for them because they're so upset. They're missing her so much. And yet, what does he do? He sends them all out. I would have kept them all in. Said, oh, guys, watch this. This is going to be amazing. No doubt that's part of Jason speaking because I would want them to know how great I am and that I was the one that did this. Peter, he's not concerned with himself at all. To such an extent, all he's concerned with is the Lord Jesus Christ and this dead woman Tabitha. So he calls them all out to leave and and then he prays. Where, where did Peter learn this? Where, where did this come from with Peter? And I believe where this came from, this came from Jesus himself. You see, this story mirrors so closely a story that we see in the Gospels. In Mark chapter 5, verses 38 to 43. We see this man, Jairus, or Jairus. And he comes to Jesus and, and Jairus says, hey, my daughter is really, really sick. She's not dead yet. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. And he, and he wants to take Jesus to his home. And as they're walking to his house, what happens? Some of his servants come and they say, oh, don't bother the teacher any longer. She's, she's gone. She's dead. And Jesus says, no, I'm okay with this. Let's keep going. So he goes and he gets there. And everybody's weeping. And Jesus says, what? No, she's, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Everybody laughs at him. And then do you know what he does? He says, everybody out of the room except for Jairus, his wife, 
and the ones that came with Jesus. And do you know who they are? Peter, James, and John. Peter. Peter was with him during this time. And then what does Jesus do? He says this. He says, Talitha kumi. Which in Aramaic means, little girl, I say arise. And do you know what Peter says when he says this to Tabitha? This has got to be the Lord and this has got to be the example from the Lord. He says, Tabitha, kumi. Almost the same exact phrase. It sounds similar. No doubt he had learned this from Jesus. And all the things that are similar where you can see that, yes, Peter learned this from Jesus. There's one glaring thing that is dissimilar that is not the same in their both of their stories. And that is that Peter prays. Jesus does not. Jesus commands her to raise. Why? Because Jesus is God. Peter is not. Peter needed help. Jesus did not need any help. He has all power and all authority. And so he can command her to rise. Peter needed to submit to the Lord and whatever he had. Jesus needed no help. Let me close with the last three verses as we see what happens as a result of this. And he, Peter, gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Isn't it interesting that Peter doesn't touch her until she's actually been raised? Because if he had touched her before that point, he would have been ceremonially unclean. And then he would have had to have gone through quite a long ritual of becoming clean again. So he's still following some regulations of the Jewish faith and Judaism. But we see this. Isn't this interesting? Once he gets her, what does he do? He calls in all the believers and all the widows. And then he takes her and he presents her to them alive. Why do you think he does that? No doubt he does that so that they will rejoice. That their friend that was dead is now back. That they will rejoice over what God has done. But I believe it's more than that. I I believe that, that Tabitha wasn't raised for her own sake. But because of the good she was doing for the body, to the body. And in essence, what Jesus is saying is, keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep serving the body the way that you're serving because you are such a blessing. And that is why I believe Peter calls them over and presents her to them. And then as a result, many believe in the Lord. So, Pastor Jason, is it believing or is it repentance? Which one? And I would say, yes, both. (laughs) Believing is is, is one side of the same coin of repentance. Whereas repentance is the other side of the same coin. Believing is believing what Jesus had done for you on the positive aspect. His wonderful grace being lavished upon us that he would die in our place without us asking him to. And then the other side of the coin is repentance. Us recognizing that we are sinners and that we need help and turning to him. So it's perfectly fine to say, Repentance or believing. That's, that's what they do. They believe. And then finally, it, it says this, that he stayed in, in this house of a man named 
Simon, who was a, a what? A tanner. For you and I, that doesn't mean anything. But for a Jew, that meant no. <laughs> you don't go into a house of a tanner. Why? Because he's got all these dead bodies of animals and skins and blood and, and the smell and all this other stuff that says, no, you're going to be unclean. And yet Peter doesn't care about any of that. Why? Because he's changed. The Lord is continuing to change him. And we'll see that even more next week. And so what have we seen today? We've seen the example of, of Peter that you and I need to follow, that he was moving, that he was working for the Lord. He was confident, not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was willing to do what the Lord was asking him to do. And that he was dependent upon him. I, I think, too, what we see in this, and I believe this feeds into what we're going to be doing this week, is we see Christ's church continuing to be built up, right? Not only are saints being ministered to by Peter, but the church itself is growing, is increasing. So it's not just in Jerusalem now. It's not just in Samaria. It's not just in Damascus. We've seen it go to Ethiopia. We've seen it go to Arabia. And now we see it go to, to these cities, to Lydda, to Joppa. And why is that? Because the gospel is meant to spread. It, it, it reminds me of, of a bottle of perfume. What is the intention? What is the purpose of perfume? To just keep it in that bottle forever? No, no, the intention, the purpose is to open the lid to that bottle and to allow that beautiful aroma go every, to go everywhere, that fragrance, to permeate whatever room or whatever person is putting it on. In very much the same way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to permeate wherever it goes. And this week, please pray that that would be the case, that each day of Vacation Bible School... That the gospel would permeate everything that goes on here. And that the Lord would save many, many. Okay, so what can you take with you this week and, and continue to consider? The, these two points to ponder. Consider Peter's confidence in the Lord. Where does such confidence come from? As I stated earlier, it comes from his relationship with the Lord. Him walking with Jesus for so many years. If you want, go back and look at the life of Peter in the Gospels. Ask the Lord to build up your confidence in him so that you might take steps of faith just like Peter. Number two, consider how all the widows were weeping for their loss of Tabitha. I ask you, who's been a Tabitha in your life? Someone that just served others and was such a great example. And how does the Lord desire for you to be more like Tabitha. Let me close our time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how instructive it is, for how encouraging, how challenging it is. We ask that You would allow us to learn from Peter, that we would follow in his footsteps, that You would allow us to be useful tools in your hands. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. And here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951 676 2911. 
Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.